Welcome to the UX Backstage Podcast, an interview series focused on learning the practices of designers in positions to influence the strategy of products and services. And so the measure of success that we have to look for is what are people doing differently? What are our customers doing differently now that we've given them the software? That's the outcomes. Today we talk to Jeff Gotthelf, a coach, speaker, author, and consultant, helping organizations build better products and executives build the cultures that build better products. Jeff has worked for over 20 years in digital products and services to bring customer-centric, evidence-based approach to product strategy, design, and leadership. In 2013, Jeff co-wrote the book Lean UX with Josh Satan. The approach is inspired by lean and agile development theories, and it teaches how to focus on the actual experience being designed rather than deliverables. With Lean UX, you drive the design in short, iterative cycles to assess what works best for the business and the user. Here's more about the approach, how to measure success, and all about his upcoming new book. Jeff, thank you so much for making time. Uh, out of your day to talk to us and to talk to the audience of the UX Backstage podcast. Um, I'm very happy to be here talking to you and dig deeper into Lean UX and uh, all of the content you've that you've so kind make available for us in the design community. My pleasure. Vanessa, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, it's funny, these days I don't talk as much, at least not directly to the UX community, but I've got, I, I've been focusing on a few different audiences. So it's a, it's a pleasure to come home, if you will. That's awesome. And, and I think that's a great segue to go into your background. Sure, sure. So look, I started in the, uh, in, on the web in the late 90s. And uh, back then it was super easy to get a job. Um, all you had to do was spell HTML. If you could spell it, you could get a job. And I, I could spell it. So, and I could do a little bit more than that, not much more, but a little bit more. I, and so I got a job as a front end designer and a, um, I mean, they called it a front end developer or web developer, but I mean, we wrote HTML 1.0 and 2.0. I mean, it was nothing, uh, there was no code there. It was just all markup. But I did that for a while. And what was interesting was, um, but you're still building software the old way, like, you know, kind of the traditional waterfall way. And I was at the end of the process and I didn't like that. Because by the time the work got to me, everything had been decided. I just had to execute the plan as it was given to me. Um, and then one day, while I was at work, this was in Richmond, Virginia, at a company called IXL. So if you remember IXL, they were one of the big web consulting companies. Um, somebody handed me a copy of Peter Morville and Lou Rosenfeld's Information Architecture for the World Wide Web, which first edition, to be clear. It's in its fourth edition now. Um, first edition. And I, uh, somebody said, hey, who wants to be an information architect? And all of us said, what's an information architect? And they said, here, here's a book about it. So, so, <laughs> so I read it and, um, and I came back and I said, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want, I want to organize the information and it moves me further upstream. And so I went down the path of doing IA for the next couple of years. And as, as the web got more sophisticated and my career evolved, that turned into interaction design and user experience design and then leading design teams. And then I found myself about 10 years later in New York City um, leading a team at the Ladders uh, job board in New York City, leading a design team, building that team in an organization that was transitioning from 
waterfall development to agile development. And I had to solve the problem of agile and UX. And this, so we're talking about the years 2008 at this point. And it, in 2008, no one had a clear answer for how to do agile and UX. Everybody had, well, not everybody. There were a lot of people who had bad ideas or ideas they had tried that failed. And so that was a great place to start. So I started there. Um, I uh, took a lot of the anti-patterns and I was lucky enough to have the bandwidth and the leadership foresight with my bosses to be able to experiment with my teams. And over the course of about six to nine months, we finally figured it out, uh, at least for us, about how to do it. And, and Lean UX was born from that. That was really the sort of the, the birth of Lean UX because the, the way that we had started working was what ended up being Lean UX. And as I started sharing this, these ways of working, I heard from other folks who had done similar things. And together we started to build this movement around Lean UX. Um, a few years later, I published the book, Lean UX, which was uh, transformational for me. So my career radically changed when that book came out in 2013 because all of a sudden people said, hey, Jeff, you might be a decent software designer, but this stuff you wrote about in the book is super interesting and you've got to come teach us how to do this. And so since 2012 or so, um, even before the book came out, I have been working in a consulting capacity, in a teaching, in a professional development capacity with organizations, primarily large organizations and mid-sized organizations, teaching them how to practice lean UX. And what's fascinating is that in that time frame over the last eight years or so, the conversations that I've been having have been getting bigger and bigger and bigger because practicing lean UX actually means changing how the entire product development organization works. And changing how the entire product development organization works ultimately means changing how the company works. And so I've been very fortunate to be able to increase the scope and the level of the conversations that I'm having from very tactical, practical, here's how design works in Agile to here's what a customer-centric organization looks like and what it means to manage one today. And so that's what I do today. Um, kind of all over the world and remotely these days. And, um, and it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. I learn a lot. I see a lot of different um, companies and challenges. And, uh, and, and I'm super excited about where this is heading in the future. And for people that don't know that Lean UX is something new, can you give us like a crash course in, into what it is? If someone wanted to go and, and get your book to learn more. As defined in the book, Lean UX is a, uh, it's the practice of bringing the true nature of a product to light faster. So the true nature of a product is the experience of using that product or that service. How do we get to that experience faster in a cross-functional collaborative way? So with, with working together with product design, engineering, marketing, sales, et cetera, um, in an effort to build shared understanding on our team about who the customer is, what problem we're solving for the customer, and what success looks like if we solve that problem. And success being not we delivered the application or uh, we, we changed the way that the, the website works, but how are people behaving differently to tell us that we've actually solved the problem for them? And to do that, we prioritize learning over delivery. So that that's kind of, as the book defines it, that's what the practice is. On a day-to-day -day basis, what it means is, is that we work in small cross-functional teams, we solve problems rather than implementing solutions, and our measure of success 
is outcomes, not output. So outcomes being changes in customer behavior, not features and services and products. And that's a very, very, very fast summary of Lean UX. Yeah, that reminds me one shift in my mindset, the concept of Lean UX and even Agile. Um, it, it presents a lot of challenges when you're going to adopt it in a company. Um, I still go to a lot of companies and they always say, well, we are almost uh, there with Agile. <laughs> almost there. It's like, is it, I, haven't, I haven't been into the first company that they say, yeah, we, we are 100% Agile in, in reality, you know? Yeah. So, so one of the things that I think it, it, it was clear, uh, key for me, was to the part about being faster. You know, that could be interpreted in so many ways by so many uh, different people, especially when you're still working towards outputs. Um, so people think that you just that lean and agile is just being faster. But one thing that I, I that going back to your the description that you just gave is a part about share understanding and collaboration. So me as a designer, it's not about doing what I normally do faster or even doing just less. It's doing it with other people. I mean, with those, I think that's when you mean with a small cross-functional team. So it's not yes. me having the idea and, and building something and then showing it to people, but even co-creating with other people um, as fast as we can. So that was that's just like a small shift in my mindset that, that happened a few years back, but I think it was important because that's a, that's a different way to execute design. Yeah. No, so, so it's interesting. Years ago, um, I contributed when, when this Lean UX thing was just kind of taking off. must have been 2013. I have to look it up. I wrote a, a piece for A List Apart, um, sort of kind of legendary web design blog, Jeffrey Zeldman's you know, legendary web design blog. And I was super thrilled that I got a piece in there. I can't even remember what it was called, but it was something about co-creation, what, what you just said. And oh my God, I got so much hate mail. Really? Uh, from de oh, designers were unhappy with me. They were like, listen, you can't say this stuff. Because if you say this stuff and people believe you, then all of a sudden everybody's a designer and what's my value? I'm the professional. I'm the expert. I went to school. I'm the only one who can design, right? And I got a lot of that hate mail. They were like, shut up, Jeff. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't say these things. Um, and it's, it's nice to see that come around to some extent. Not everybody's come around to that from the design world. But the initial reaction from a lot of, um, you know, veteran designers was shut up, <laughs> you know, don't, don't talk about this. Uh, so that's super, super interesting because they saw it as a threat, right? Yeah. They saw it as a threat to their value in the organization. And rather than seeing themselves as the synthesizers of input and feedback from a cross-functional team, rather than seeing themselves as facilitators of conversation to lead to a better design and then to that synthesis, they saw this as a threat to well, if other people can do what I do, then I'm not valuable anymore and I'll lose my job. Yeah, and there are so many dimensions uh, with that. And there's so many, there's a range too of the kind of design that we are doing now. I'm trying to, to move us forward to something that is more uh, a one, one conversation of what design is and not different types of designs. There are other 
types of designs like visual, like interaction, and then you have research, and then you have so many specialties now that uh, are not clear nor for the company or even the design industry. So that's one of the things that I'm also trying to trying to work towards with the with the project to be able to have a shared understanding. Going back to that, even as what our function is and our value is within a company. Um, you know, there, there is something that I wanted to go back to in terms of your def, uh, the definition of Lean UX, and it's a part about metrics, you know, about, mm-hmm. I think that one um, key aspect that can help us move forward uh, in, in the transition between outputs and outcomes is how we measure that. So how do we know that we were successful? If we are talking about outputs, then maybe just shipping is successful, that like we were able to build it. Uh, but if we are talking about outcomes and we are changing people's behavior, then we need to use other metrics um, and integrate that. In, in one of the previous episodes, uh, we were talking about how can we even use these metrics when we are making high-level decisions uh, mm-hmm. in leadership, in the leadership of, of the companies. So I, I wanted to take this opportunity in, and ask you, what are the, the most effective metrics that you've seen using Lean UX? Uh, to measure outcomes in people beha- people's behavior. Yeah, so I've written about this extensively from a variety of different angles and from a variety of different altitudes. So I've written about it. At this, in fact, my most recent blog post on my blog right now is. Uh, no, even, even the, so the mountain's super interesting, right? Because that that can get very strategic and very tactical. But this, the more the most recent one actually is um, about using uh, outcomes to measure the success of your product strategy, right? So you can think about it at that level and you can think and, and kind of the, the metrics mountain metaphor can take you from strategy down to the very tactical stuff as well. Um, look, th- what's interesting is we have to think about the uh, the people that we're building products and services for, right? And so when I say customers or users, for those of us who build customer B2C, customer-facing applications, or even B2B where there's an external user, um, that's pretty easy to imagine. There are those of us who build products and services for internal consumption, for our colleagues, for the sales force, for the call center, for, um, for the underwriters in your bank, right? Whatever it is. And those are your customers as well. Every time that you build software, you have an infinite choice, literally, a literal infinite choice of combinations of code, copy, and design, value proposition, business model, pricing model, f- to put together to try to deliver the most compelling service or product to, the, to your customer, right? How do you know which one is the best one, Right. When you literally have an infinite choice, infinite choice of combinations. Right. How do you know which one is the best one? Um, Back in the static software days, when I started my career 20 years ago and software came on CDs or you went to the store and you bought a box of software, you took a guess. Right. And then you built the best version of that guess that you could and you hoped that it worked. Today, software is continuous. You don't buy a box of software. You don't like. You might initiate a relationship with a software vendor, but then they just update the software continuously, right? Your apps update, Facebook updates, Amazon updates, Google updates, iOS, right? All this stuff just kind of happens all the time. In that reality, 
we have an amazing opportunity to learn continuously how right or wrong our guesses are. And so the faster that we can guess, right? We talked about speed before. The faster that we can guess, in other words, the faster that we can get ideas into the hands of our customers, the faster that we learn. And if you can do that on a daily, weekly, biweekly, or even hourly basis, then the deployment of features becomes a non-event, right? Does that make sense, right? So, so like when I worked at AOL 20 years ago making software that went on CDs, we'd work for six months, right? And then we'd ship something and we'd have a party I would get a T-shirt with the name of the project on it, you know, and then we, 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 you know, it would be amazing, right? Um, because we, you know, we worked so hard for six months to get this thing out the door. Now we're done. Like we're never going back and touching this stuff again. Um, when you're deploying every two weeks, every week, every day, you're not getting a T-shirt for that. You're not having a party once a day, right? Amazon deploys once a second, right? You're not having a party 60 times a minute, right? So, so. Output, the, the deployment of features is a very long answer to your question, I realize that. But I'm, I swear to God, I'm getting the punchline. Um, <laughs> output is, is the thing that we make, and it's almost irrelevant today as a measure of success because we can change it as fast as we want, right? Or as fast as makes sense in our environment. And so the measure of success that we have to look for is what are people doing differently what are our customers doing differently now that we've given them the software? That's the outcomes. And so the best outcomes for you to measure are the intended uses of the application that you're building, right? So if you're building a, uh, an e-commerce application, right, the outcomes that you're looking for are traffic to the site, um, product pages looked at maybe number of car, uh, items added to cart, average order value, how frequently I come back to the site, um, how frequently I buy something, is my order value going up? Like those are the intended uses of your system and those are measures of customer behavior that tell you whether or not you've delivered value, right? So every system is going to be different, but you always wanna ask yourself, what are the intended uses of my system? There, there's, um. If you Google this, there's a great article by the authors, one of the authors of Lean Analytics. I believe it's Ben Yaskovitz, but it might be Alistair Kroll. I don't remember which one of them wrote this. The, um, the article is called The One Metric That Matters, or One Metric to Rule Them All. Um, and uh, it talks about the intended uses of your system. Josh Ellman gave, gave a great talk at Mind the Product a year or two ago called The One Metric That Matters. Again, what are the intended uses of your product, those are the best outcomes to measure. Technical teams and, and product teams have that celebration at the end when they ship something and they have that t-shirt with the name of the, of the, of the product. And then you take that away and that, that used to be an incentive, that used to be something that they look forward to and something that the whole organization can see as an accomplishment. You take that away and now you replace it with like smaller increments and and the and the reward is is learning i have a, a theory of what could be a replacement of 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 incentive because that's the incentive that i have but yeah. i wanted i wanted to i don't know you, do you want me to go first 
sure. And then I'll tell you a story. <laughs> All right. T t tell me your story and I'll tell you my story. So my, my story as a, as a designer, as a, the incentive that I have is traction. Whenever I start getting traction, that's, that's my celebration, that I want a t-shirt that says traction. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I, I was able to deliver some value uh, enough for people to give me their time. But, but so, so tra look, but but again, traction, it's it's kind of like that very that word that everybody loves, engagement, right? Um, it means different things to different products, right? So, for example, take Facebook, right? Um, traction at Facebook means daily active users, right? How many daily active users do we have? How frequently do they do they come back? What's traction with a fire extinguisher? We don't we don't want daily active users on a fire extinguisher, <laughs> yeah. right? So. So again, like the the, the specific, right? The specificity is important, right? So I, I get it. Like people want engagement, they want traction, right? Totally, totally accurate, right? But but let's let's get very specific about what that means in the context of use of our product, right? Like I look, I mean, if if you run a, uh, let's say you're 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 building the mortgage section of a bank. You know, digital digital a uh, uh, digital mortgage service for a bank, right? Um, traction there means you want a lot of people sort of, you know coming to the site. Uh, you want qualified people applying for loans, um, and you want folks servicing their loans digitally, right? But I mean, how often do you service your your mortgage? You apply once, right? You close once on the, with that mortgage, and then uh, and then beyond that. Uh, you serve his, I don't know, once a year, something like that. So, so you said you have to define that yes. in, in specificity, right? Yeah. Um, the story I was thinking of when you were talking about, hey, we're taking away the parties. Um, when I worked at the ladders, I hired this um, old school creative director. Um, and I really liked him. He was super talented and, and he knew how to build a, a visual design team. And, uh, and we, we transitioned to agile and we took away the, the t-shirts and the parties. And he said to me, he said, look, what I'm missing is the finish line. He says, it literally, he said to me, I feel like I'm running for the bronze medal. Cause I've I, like, I'm always running and trying to keep up, but I have no sense of where I'm going and how to get there. So I can't even try for gold because I'm just trying to maintain for the bronze. And that was a factor of two things, really, of a lot of things, but the two most important things. One is by taking away the deadline, we will ship everything on June 1st, right? We, we took away the goal for him. And the second, by shortening the time frame into, into sprints, it just felt to him like he was just feeding the beast, right? Feeding the machine. Just make sure the developers have something to build in the next sprint. Anything. It doesn't matter. And, and the vision was lost, right? Just, just keep feeding wireframes and designs to, to, to the to the developers. Um, and so, what we needed to do to fix that was to be very clear and say, look, for the next three months, for this quarter, our goal is to increase traction. Traction for us meant, uh, you know, number of jobs viewed per week, number of applications, number of job postings, that kind of thing, right? That's what those were our metrics. Um, and we're looking to increase these outcomes by this much, by this date that provided vision 
direction, constraints, and a goal and help bring them back around to, okay, I understand what I'm going for now. Makes sense. Going back to, to the metrics. So super important. So I wanted to, to go into implementation because I know that you have a lot of experience working with many companies. How do you assess where they are or if they're ready? Because I know that one of your latest book, Answer and Respond, there's one element of culture, which I think is the response, a part of the loop, uh, where you say that the company needs to be ready to invest. So how do you, how do you assess a company when you go into a company and, and how do you see design teams specifically change after you finish working with the company? Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. The level of maturity matters tremendously in the success of my efforts. And I'll be perfectly candid with you and, and the audience. Um, if I'm brought in to work with an organization by the UX team, I typically do not anticipate having a broad impact on the organization. And it hurts me to say that, um, but it's true. I just feel like when I'm brought in by a business unit lead or somebody in the C-suite, chief product officer, chief technical officer, CEO, chief executive officer, um, chief HR officer, which is a big one for me these days, um, I feel like I have much more impact and much more influence and it feels like the organization is more mature and more ready to invest broadly in the success of these ways of working. Because just changing the way the designers work is not gonna influence the entire organization, right? And so um, for me, the first assessment is, is who's calling and what their job title is. Um, that's a big one for me. And if I do get brought in, or at least in a conversation initiated by a designer or design lead or something, or a UX lead or something like that, then I immediately broaden the conversation. Because, I mean, look, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. It, it's, it's a waste of all of our time for me to come in and work just with designers. That's, that's, it, it, it's antithetical to what I teach, which is cross-functional collaboration. And the changes that we make are going to impact the entire organization. Every, everything from how we work to uh, how we measure success to how we reward that success Right. So, so what are the incentives that we put into place, like you said before, to, to get me to work this way? And that's a, that's a huge question. The higher the person is in the organization, the better. I mean, look, it, and if, if it's a chief design officer or chief experience officer, that's fantastic, right? Generally speaking, that person has a seat at the table, yeah. at, the, at the leadership table. And so they're, they, they're not operating unilaterally and they've got to bring this conversation to their peers who are the other C-level executives. So in that situation, um, that's a no-brainer. I'm, I'm, yeah, to me, that's, that's a, a properly leveled conversation. I, I completely agree because I think that one of the skills that we need to develop more uh, is uh, how to influence. You know? and, and I think that what you're saying is that in order to implement this kind of methodology where you basically have to change the culture of, of the organization in, in many ways, you need the support of an influential uh, person or influential role in the company. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, Jeff, I wanted to go into a couple of questions 
from from the community. This is from the design okay. leaders uh, Slack channel. The first one is about, it's from Harper Ray. Uh, he says that a lot of principles are geared towards doing more focused work, but companies or executives uh, read them as doing less work. And they think that less work um, brings less billable hours and then uh, less expenses. Even by your definition, an MVP is the least amount of work needed to learn something. Uh, how do we shift this mentality that lean does not equal less? but more focus in terms of vision and scope? Uh, it's a great question. And I'm going to read something into that question um, because in that question, to me, there's a, a clear, there's a big clue in there that says that the person who asked the question works in an agency. They, they, they work in a services capacity, which is a fundamentally different environment than working on an in-house team. Um, and so... Let me answer the question from both perspectives, okay? So let me, let me give an in-house team answer to that question and then a services team because they're very different in my opinion. So um, when it comes to in-house teams, we talked about this a little bit earlier. We said, look, we've got an infinite number of combinations, an infinite set of combinations we can choose about how, what to build how to design it, how to implement it, how to deploy it, how to sell it, et cetera. Um, we want to make sure that we are maximizing the return on the investment for the software. And so for us, it's about reducing the risk of building something that people don't want. That's the conversation that we want to have, right? If we want to speak the language of our stakeholders, it's to say, okay, you've budgeted $200,000 for this project, half a million, a million dollars for this project. We're going to use a very small amount of the budget here to build learning into every cycle so that we're always adjusting course to build a, a product or service that serves our customers more effectively as measured by these customer behaviors, these outcomes that you care about because they lead to revenue and profit and sales and customer satisfaction and whatever else, right? So um, the MVP is our learning tool. Right? The, the experiment is our tool for learning. And, and we build that into every cycle to make sure that we're always doing the right things so that we're not wasting your money, executive. Right? That's, and te technically, that should be an easy sell. It's not always an easy sell. But technically, that should be an easy sell. Now, um, the services world is very different. And it's different because of the business model of an agency, okay? This is where, this is, this is I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, my favorite description of this I learned by teaching with my friend, Jeff Patton. I teach a lot of classes with Jeff Patton, and he's got this great metaphor that really illustrates how to think about your practice, okay? He, he, he says, imagine a spectrum, and on one side of the spectrum, you've got the word waiter, and on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the word doctor, okay? Where does your organization sit on that spectrum? A waiter takes orders and delivers exactly what you asked for, right? Give me a steak, medium rare, French fries, broccoli, you know, and a Coke with ice, right? Now, I don't care if you like it. 
Like I, I don't care if you, if you, you know, uh, like I, you asked for a Coke with fries. Yeah, my steak with fries and a Coke. I'm gonna bring you a steak with fries and a Coke, right? Because that's what you asked for. Most agencies work at that end of the spectrum, somewhere near there. At the other end of the spectrum is doctor. A doctor, right, um, is an advisor. It is a partner. is a is a collaborator with you designed to achieve an outcome, your health. So as Jeff likes to say, a, uh, y- you could come to your doctor and place an order, right? I would like these medicines. I would like these procedures. I would like these tests. And your doctor will say, that's great. Tell me where it hurts. I love that. Right? Love that. Right? And then your doctor will say, actually, you don't need this test. You need this test. And you don't need this medicine. What you need is to order salads, not steaks at restaurants. Right? And you'll be, you'll, your KPIs, your, your outcomes will improve, right? The measurements of your health. Um, and so this is the challenge for agencies. When you were, operate more as a waiter, which is how most agencies work, right? I hire your agency to build me an app. And I tell you what the app needs to do, and I tell you when I need it done. Generally speaking, most agencies say, okay, I'll take your money. I'll build the features. It'll be done on Tuesday, right? Um, In that scenario, there's no room for learning. I'm not paying you to learn. I'm paying you to ship features, right? And you're agreeing by signing the contract to ship features. And so you're – the – introspective challenge here for most agencies is do you want to be more like a doctor and are you willing to adjust your business model to support that because if you are then the mvp becomes a viable piece of the conversation right here's how we work right we're going to work uh and with time first of all not with deliverables but with time and materials we're going to work towards an outcome to achieve that outcome we've got to build learning into every cycle which means that we're going to run experiments during every sprint. Not a lot, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes zero, but the goal is to ensure that what we're building delivers on your outcomes because we don't want to waste your money. So we come back to that same conversation, but the business model has to be there to support it. Otherwise, if you're an agency and you sign a contract where you're committed to fixed time and fixed scope, there's no time for learning and the MVP will never sell. Yeah, and I would add to that that the business model of the service uh, company needs to change, but also the clients that the that the company is yeah. attracting. You know, Jeff, I wanted to have some time to talk about uh, your upcoming book, Forever Employable. Absolutely, um, and thank you for asking. I'm super proud of this book. For years, people have been asking me how I built the career that I have today. Um, you know that they they. From the outside, it looks so glamorous. Uh, I'll tell you that. Barcelona, and then let me let everyone (laughs) know. So, 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 fair enough. I I mean, and I, and I will, I will, I will admit that because of the career that I built for myself, I get to live here now. Like I I choose to live here, and I'm privileged enough and lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, And so that no complaints there, and and full acknowledgement of the (laughs) awesomeness uh, of of being here. Now, um, but people have asked and. I, you know, I wanted to share the story and I finally decided to, to, to get off my ass and do it. So for the last few months, I've been writing that story as the backbone using kind of a a bit, a bit of an autobiography starting when I turned 35, by the way. So like, uh, 
the last 10 years or so. Okay, so it's it's autobiographical from the day I turned 35 forward. Um, and that's the backbone of the story that then has a very clear and practical approach to building yourself and your platform to become a recognized expert and a thought leader, either internally in your organization or outside. And what I love about this is that, and I, and I talk about how I've done it and how others have done it um, very practically with tools and tips and very specific actions, is the the fundamental formula that's in lean UX, that's in sense and respond, um, that's in lean startup, um, is applied here, but not to product, but to your career and to yourself. So you think about, okay, what's the problem that I'm solving for myself? Well, I'm mid-career, knowledge worker. I'm becoming um, increasingly more expensive. There are fewer and fewer jobs as I rise in, in, the, in the corporate ladder. And I'm concerned about becoming obsolete or you know, overpaid and unemployable. That was, that was kind of where I, where I started with this. Okay, great. Um, what are some of my assumptions about how to get, how to solve for this? What are some hypotheses? And then how do I run experiments to test that? Um, and then what are the outcomes that I'm looking for? But instead of changes in, be, in customer behavior, you're looking for changes in the behavior of your colleagues, your employer, the people who are reading your content, um, the people who come to your blog, that type of thing. And so Forever Employable is designed to take those concepts and apply them to career growth, professional development, job hunting. The subtitle of the book, which I think is probably even more powerful, is how to stop, uh, how to stop looking for work and let your next job find you. Right. And and it's it's a direct application of this content to professional development. I'm super psyched about it. Foreveremployable.com will get you all the info that you need. Yeah, and it's gonna be in the in the show notes. Um, so we are almost at, at the time. Where can we find you in social media and and if you can talk for like thirty seconds about the, the online course that you're going to run with uh, with your partner uh, this March, which I think is awesome. So, uh, so I'm super easy to find. Everything you need to know is at jeffgotthealth.com. So if you just first name, last name.com is uh, blog is there, Forever Employable is there, the books are there, the course descriptions are there, some videos, it, 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 it's all there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Please feel free to connect. Just search for my name on LinkedIn. You'll find me there. Um, I'm on Twitter as jboogie. It's a long story. I've had that handle for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> um, we don't have time to share that story, maybe some other time. Um, and then um, as far as the course goes, if you, if you go to jeffgodhealth.com forward slash events, you'll see our live online course. It's a Lean UX course. Um, it's called Product Discovery for Agile Teams. The only reason it's not called Lean UX is because I have some uh, trademark challenges with O'Reilly, the publisher of the book. So instead of taking a risk, we just called it Product Discovery for Agile Teams. But it's a Lean UX course. We have a few seats left. We start on March 26th. It's two hours every week, a couple of videos in between. Um, Josh and I, Josh Side, my co-author and business partner, have been doing this for a long time, and um, and it's really fun. We really enjoy it. You get a, a nice international group of people joining, and uh, I think you learn a lot. So we've had some really good feedback on it. And it's four weeks, right? Four weeks, two hours every week at the same time, so a total of eight hours plus some homework in between. Awesome. So I think that it's a it's a great opportunity to do that now that I think that people are going to have the time and that they're going to be able to connect uh, more than last month, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Take advantage of being home and jump on the class with us. 
If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and go to uxbackstage.com to learn about more resources on UX strategy.